You're listening to E-Commerce Marketing School, presented by Privy and Triple Whale. I'm your host, Val Geisler. Welcome back to E-Commerce Marketing School, classes in session with the absolute tenured professor in customer experience and all things customer success. That is the one and only Eli Weiss. Eli, thanks for being here. This has been a bucket list teaching a session, so I'm happy I can check it off. So glad. Put it on your LinkedIn bio that you are a professor at e-commerce marketing school, and then people will Google us and wonder what this school is all about. Can we start charging for entry or make it really difficult to get in? Yeah, or I'm going to start like mailing um, certificates to our guests as professors so you can have that credential, you know? Okay, cool. I'll mail you a certificate. In the meantime, while you're waiting for that in the mail, I want to talk to you. First of all, you have this incredible newsletter all about customer experience. But honestly, like even for people who don't care about customer experience, which if you're listening to this show, you probably should. Um, But if it's not like in your wheelhouse, maybe you work in another area of an e-commerce brand and you're like, I don't do CS. That's another team. You actually do like everyone does CS in one way or another. So CX uh, is like the center of a business. And so anyways, I get your newsletter. You do an awesome job of sharing it on LinkedIn and all the places. And I read your newsletter about returns. And I thought we got to talk about returns because BFCM Q4 is like, well, maybe not Q4, right? Like we might not get a ton of returns in Q4, but we're going to see some returns in Q1. So what can we do during this holiday season to set us up for success to maybe have less returns in Q1 24 than we did in Q1 23? And you in your newsletter give us nine things we can do. This podcast is at max 20 minutes. So that gives us like two minutes a thing. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you uh, for your kind words. I I started writing this newsletter because I was excited about sharing things, but hated leaving my house and hated speaking. So I said, hey, this is a fun way to sit in a corner and write about things I'm passionate about. I think returns has kind of come up in a bunch of different capacities in the last couple of years for me. Returns is kind of this confusing, maybe isolated child that's like, is this an ops issue? Is this a retention issue? Is this, it's it's definitely not a growth issue because it never is. But I think returns is this kind of interesting child where we, we kind of say, oh, it's the cost of doing business. And, and obviously if you're, you know, and we'll talk about like maybe fashion as, as an exclusion, but I think it's almost never the cost of business when your returns are 10, 20, 30%. Obviously benchmarks depend on the industry, but I think you can almost always lower your return rate. And I think that the, the impetus for this email was exactly like you said, like we're writing into Q4. Not only are you going to sell a lot of inventory, you'll probably get to a wider customer base and you usually do because you'll say, hey, this is working. Let's turn up the ads. Let's go broad. So this was just, how do I give people a little leg up on on getting returns down. And I guess we can start all the way from the beginning if that's good with you. Yeah. And I think like the key of all this is you're going to get more first time customers in Q4 than ever before. And so, well, I don't know, there's probably some stat out there, but I imagine it's true that the more someone's a customer of your brand, the less likely they are to return. They understand what they're getting more often. Definitely true for fashion, probably true for other industries as well. And so those first time customers, you can set them up for an incredible experience that reduces the return rate. And yeah, sure, returns are a cost of doing business. Returns, damages, complaints, all that stuff is part of doing business, but you can still make it less part, not as much of a headache. Okay, so yeah, let's start at the first one, which is starting from day one, we have these brand new customers. Um, What do we do like right up front with them? 
So maybe even before they make the purchase. Yeah. I think the exciting thing about growth as a function of a business is that when you find something that works, you double down. So I think early in my career, I was at a brand where they were saying, you know, free shipping with every order in the next 48 hours. And then they realized that that's working. So they said, why don't we just do free two-day shipping? Because it was perishable and we we're actually shipping in two days. And what they failed to maybe mention was that it took three or four extra days for processing. And when you do that, it's like, now you create an ad that quote unquote crushes, but also I was going to make a crushes, crushes kind of joke, but I, I don't think I'm dad enough uh, to do that yet. But but essentially, you, you find a, an ad that works and, and fast forward really quickly, realize what you're, what you're promising. Oh, it's, that is the, the national alert. Wish we were warned about. But I, I think this is an interesting concept, right? Where you start realizing the reason why people return a product is because it's not what they expected. And when you think about expectations, you're always like, well, the PDP, the FAQs, it probably starts from your front door. And that's kind of the, the, the day one here is, is, is the ad copy. Like, let's make sure you're promising something that actually exists. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, this lipstick's going to change your life. And if it doesn't actually change your life, it might change how you feel, but it's not going to actually change your life. Let's not say that. Because it would be interesting if our growth teams considered returns and LTV as part of their metrics in terms of like, if an ad is successful or not, right? Like the, the customers that come in through that ad, do they stay? Do they return stuff? Do they come back for a second purchase? Maybe that should be a measure of success. I'm going to talk to my growth team about that. I think it would be fun right it would be fun it would make people care more about that customer experience for sure um okay so like so that's the ad experience and then what happens when they hit the site um product descriptions pdp faqs what do we do there we've we've gone from like this website that helps people place orders to this almost editorial experience and you can probably think kind of like the, the editorial brands as as paving the path into making things look really beautiful but I think functionality here is really important. Most of your customers are kind of going from an ad to maybe a landing page if you're cool. But if you if you aren't doing a landing page, it's 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 ad to either collections page or PDP and then purchase. And and we often as as marketers and as retention and CX operators, we say, hey, well, we answer this in FAQs. But a lot of people aren't getting to FAQs. Um, they're just buying the product and returning it um, when it doesn't exactly match what they expected. So putting pertinent information on PDP is, is super important. What what should you put on a PDP? You can probably look at your returns and look at your uh, negative reviews and kind of see where you feel like you might be missing the mark and see if there are maybe brand-friendly ways of putting that in the PDP. So for example, you know, one of the examples I gave was if customers are continuing to say, hey, this pillow is much sm smaller than I thought it would be, um, that's an easy way to add dimensions in the, in the PDP so they have a pretty strong understanding as, as to what they're getting. Well, and dimensions, uh, and maybe also like some kind of relationship, like um, those baby apps that are like, your baby's the size of a kumquat right now. Probably not like the most relatable fruit to choose, but um, you know, it gives people a sense of like size. You might not know what 21 by 30 is in like, and have like that right off the top of your head. You probably have to now go measure something and think about it put some pieces of paper together so you can get just 22 inches long ways uh, to figure that out and kind of like mock it up. But if you know, hey, this thing is the size of a piece of paper. Oh, okay, cool. Or it's going to fit in the palm of your hand. Great. I, I get that. Um, so not just like the data kind of dimensions, but also maybe some key pieces that help people place it in their home. 
One thing that I talk about all the time is that the only person who reads every single word of your website is you. Uh, and every single email you send and every SMS you send and every ad that goes out in the world, um, that is you and not a, a single one of your customers. So what about that? Like, what about do we, is it like beating it over people's heads to talk about FAQs over and over again to re-describe products that they've already described? It's it's a good question. I think something that I've been thinking about lately is we we look at benchmarks, right? And we say like the, the best open rates, right? The best kind of what assuming it's 50, 60, 65%, right? That means like 35 to 50% of your customers aren't seeing your emails. We often hesitate like, oh, I already said that. Should I say that again? And and realistically, most people, like you said, aren't opening every email and every SMS. And the, and the two people or the one person that does, if they get the same message twice, maybe phrase it slightly differently. But you know, something we, we think about is, is maybe less of like your, your FAQs that are a little bit more out there, but something that's extremely important for somebody to know to get the best use of the product. So in, in our universe, it's like, you know, our, our Miracle Bomb is a category creator. So we say, hey, um, in order to properly use this, these are three things you must do, right? And if one of them is break the seal, it's like, we're not going to say that once, we'll say that eight times. And realistically, if somebody heard it too many times, chances are that they'll be okay. They'll be healthy. Um, this isn't hurting anyone. And it's it's probably a better investment to say that in an email versus upsell, upsell, upsell. Maybe we will add like a little, like here's a brush that you can get better usage. But again, upsells will be thoughtful and, and it'll be like, this is a better way to get 100% usage of your product. But I think that the repetition being the name of the game is, is it, it has, has become more important to me over the last couple of months. And, and Joanne on our email side has been kind of working on this for a while as to like, what does that journey look like? If we were to take a customer that came in, walk through that journey with them. They, they saw the PDP, they came on the ad, they know everything that's great about the product. Do they know how to use it? Probably not. So should we be telling them that once they got the product? It's probably a little late, right? When people get the product, they're outside opening the box. They're not checking your emails. So I think as, as brands, we often get to product education way too late. They should be getting educated while they're excited and waiting for the product because at, at that point in time, they're probably still opening your emails. Yeah, I think also that repetition creates like natural brand advocates, because now they feel like they really know. Um, so they're when they do like the product, and they are telling their friends, not just go, you got to get Miracle Bomb. But they say like, Oh, and when you get it, make sure you do these things. And like, you know, they'll they'll kind of, re they will repeat what you've been repeating at them. And they help other people adopt the product more quickly. What about video? We talked about kind of like um, helping people place the product in their home through uh, similar items that they probably have a relationship with. Video, it's, it takes a lot of money to produce videos, does it? It could. I think the important thing is kind of in, the, in a similar vein as, as to saying the same thing a bunch of times. You also want to start thinking about what, you know, some people are more visual, some people prefer to, you know, read versus watch. But I, I think something that we've often thought about is, hey, you probably need a, a $50,000 shoot in order to make like a, a masterclass level video. But for some brands, it's just a selfie you know, a, a video from a founder saying like, hey, um, thanks for purchasing X. This is exactly how to use it. And I think whether that's, you know, like that might not even have to be on YouTube. That can be a link to an Instagram reel. That can be a link to a TikTok. Um, but giving people the ability to like, for the more visual learners to watch like, oh, cool, breaking the seal sounds like I might need a hammer. But when you do it on a TikTok video, it's just like, just take your thumb and put it right in. So I think that's been something that we've started thinking about, especially if you're if you're on Instagram for a while, you probably have a video that already shows how to do it. 
So just maybe linking that in more places than you are right now is probably a good place to start. What about um, other people creating that video content for you? Like UGC, um, you know, through other creators? I mean, I think it can, it can also be impactful. It, it probably feels less marketing-y, right? If it's not coming from a brand, it's coming from somebody that's trying the, the, the product, it, it might even feel more relatable. I think any of those things can work. I think, I think it's probably worth thinking about it the other way around. It's like, what are the, the issues that people have that makes them potentially want to return it? And it's like, oh, well, maybe you can't solve one or two of them, but the other eight or nine, you probably can. And video is, is a really strong tool to kind of walk people through how to use it. So probably, you know, equal UGC or, or founder, it's probably the same, but I think it's, it's more so focusing on not only repeating the message a bunch of times, but also using different, different methods to get it to the customer. One thing I think that SaaS does really well, software, is kind of like the walkthrough tutorial educational videos. Because like you have to learn how to use a piece of software. Maybe you don't need to learn how to use bed sheets, but maybe your brand has like specific wash instructions or like maybe you can show your sheets like here's a a sheet like everyone struggles to fold sheets and put them in their closet so like maybe there's some educational stuff around that one of the things you talk about in the newsletter is educational content and i think like that's so under leveraged in the world of e-commerce yeah i i think especially for brands that have a broader mission and like a vision right like if your brand is is popping just because you're great for the environment and you're not telling people a, a broader message and yeah maybe you'll isolate one or two people but hey like people that are purchasing patagonia for example aren't necessarily scared when you talk to them about deforestation so i think it's it's a good way to get people and we think about like how do you create brand how do you you know like how do you get more people to care about your mission or your vision well most people don't even know what it is i think that I saw that on the Olipop side and on the inside, it felt like we were building a religion on the outside. It felt like soda. And the question became, it's like, is this, why is this huge divide here? Like why on the inside does it feel like this noble mission on the outside? It feels like it's just a healthier soda. And maybe customers don't need to be a hundred percent in on, on the Kool-Aid you're serving in the kitchen, but there's probably a line as to how much more you could be doing than you're doing right now. I think it, it's probably more of a, fo- it should probably be more of a focus for like mission driven, vision driven companies. But in general, I think education could go beyond just how to use. Yeah. And I mean, as, even unless you're like a, a true category creator, customers have options. So uh, making those stances clear, helping maybe, you know, serving little little bit of the Kool-Aid isn't a bad thing because it helps some people connect to your brand. It also helps the people that aren't going to be long-term customers that aren't going to be a great fit for your brand. Like that, that helps them self-identify too. Um, so they can find a different option that works for them. Like ultimately we don't necessarily want every customer in the world. We want the customers that are going to like jive with us and keep using our product for as long as they need it. Um, You've kind of touched on this uh, and pretty much every tip so far, but one of the things you really hone in on, on the new- in the newsletter is uh, being data-driven in the way that you think about returns. So making sure that you're looking at the return reasons and that you're making adjustments to your product, that you're using those things to say like, hey, do we talk about this on the PDP? Do we mention this in emails? And um, is there... Uh, is that what you're getting at with like the data dis- driven decision making? If I had to tell you the amount of people that I've spoken to that I asked them why their customers are returning and they just pulled numbers out of their or pulled reasons out of their hat, you'd be shocked. I think most founders don't actually understand why people don't like their product. 
they have taken the three loudest people and they said, oh, everyone hates it because of X. And, and it's usually not, you know, I think even for us, it's like we sold hundreds of thousands of miracle bombs before we had adjusted our return reasons correctly to, you know, kind of like wh- when you're at a point where you're like, oh, I can look at my return reasons. That's one, one thing. But before that, it's like everyone sets up their return tool and they have kind of like the four blanket reasons. I don't like it. I don't like how it looks, et cetera. Um, you probably should even start earlier of talking to customers that disliked. It's like, hey, I saw you returned X. Um, we're a brand new brand. We're just trying to learn more about our customers. Um, I'm offering to give you a $50 Visa gift card if you'll jump on a call and tell me more about your experience and what we can do better. And I think you'll probably learn a lot in the early days as to like, you 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 really need to know where to start. Um, and then from there you say like, okay, instead of targeting the easiest reasons, let me target the biggest reasons. And maybe one of them is a product issue you can't fix. But for us, you know, one of the examples I gave was Olipop, like people would say like, oh, it, you know, I can't drink it. It made me bloated. And then the question we'd ask is like, how many cans did you drink? And they said, oh, I drank four cans. Um, and that's like eight, nine grams of fiber in each can. You should probably go to the doctor. Um, <laughs> that's way too much fiber. Right. And then from our perspective, we're like, wait, are you crazy? Like four grand, four cans. But then we realized we aren't telling people that they shouldn't. And not everyone knows, not, not everyone's thinking of this as like a fiber drink. People are thinking of this as a soda. Um, and then we started saying like, you know, wait, and, and you can say it in different ways. It doesn't have to be like, this is a fiber bomb. Like don't drink too much. You can switch the messaging to like, this is why this is good for you because it, cre- it, it contains prebiotic fibers. And now side effect of prebiotic fibers is like, if your body doesn't have a ton of fiber, like, you know, hunter-gatherers had 200 grams of fiber. American Standard Diet has like one gram of fiber a day. So you're probably like 8xing what you have right now. So just maybe go easy. Um, I've been drinking Olipop for, I don't know, four or five years now. And I'm still, I stop at one can a day because I don't know that I can handle it. But I didn't learn the hard way because somebody told me. So I think that... It's like uh, taking, there's the post-return survey and some operators will say like, oh, yeah, I know why, because it's the one that they click on the most. But like, did you actually go talk to any of those people? Um, And you'd be surprised, like people want to give feedback, they want to help. And particularly, yeah, if you're a small business, and you just say that, like right up front, this really matters to us. And if you compensate people for their time, they're pretty willing to hop on a call. Um, and it doesn't take it doesn't take hundreds of interviews to get to this, right? Like you can do it in a handful. Um, you can schedule some of those. Like go send a few emails after you listen to this show and go schedule some calls for next week and start to figure that stuff out. We want to make it easy. We know that we like make your returns as easy as possible. Do not do the if you've ever tried to cancel a, an Audible plan. It's like twenty seven steps to cancel Audible. Uh, don't do that. Don't bury your return process. Um, make it easy. Make it very customer first and friendly. Don't make them like create their own label and take it to the post office and all that kind of stuff. It's just not going to happen. Then they're not going to have a great experience. And I think like all of that you talk about like ripple effect, halo effect, um, the experience that people have with your return process and kind of everything, like from the experience of the brand to the buying the product, everything they learned about it. And if they do end up returning and maybe they're going to return an exchange, maybe they're going to return and repurchase something else. Maybe they return the product and come back six months later. All of that creates this bigger brand ripple effect. And I think that that is the last thing I want you to touch on is like the, um, 
you know, psychologically what all of these things do for your customers? I think what's interesting, the thought I've been having lately is like as brands get to a certain degree, I think there's, I, I was going to write gaslighting effect, but I thought it was a little sensationalized. So I wrote the halo effect and social proof, but essentially like what I've seen is as brands get, as the brand gets stronger, like Apple, I'm sure now has a lot less returns than 10 years ago. Um, because if you buy the iPhone, you don't like it. It's a you problem. Like you're obviously doing something wrong. Um, similarly, I was, I was using an example of someone maybe a little earlier than Apple, but, but in our industry, and I think Hexcloud was one of these examples of like, once you've seen 500 ads and you've seen all your friends and, and their neighbors use it and you get it and you're like, Hey, I don't get it. The first thing you tell yourself is like, I should probably get educated because I'm definitely missing something because everyone else likes it. It's kind of like when you, when you buy your first pumpkin spice latte and you say it's too sweet and you're like, Oh, that's a me problem. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm obviously not ready for it. Um, <laughs> so I think there's, there's two sides to it. There's a side that you're talking about of like great experiences create great brand. And then there's a side to it that brands that get big, like I imagine Whoop is not having as many returns now as they had six years ago. Cause when people buy it, they say like, you know, like this is stuff I didn't measure 10 years ago, but everyone else is measuring it. I have to measure it. Um, I'm doing something wrong if it, if it's not working for me. And that's a brand that can legitimately advertise this will change your life because it does change like so much about how you live your life. And it's like creating that halo effect of what happens when your customers have a good experience, not just with the product, not just like building a great product itself, but the the overarching experience of the brand, those little things that um, they might seem little to you, but they're actually really big to the customer. Uh, I think that that's really important. Eli, we have, there are more tips that you gave in your newsletter and we are out of time. Uh, and so I'm going to ask people to go subscribe to your newsletter. I'm going to ask you to tell them how to do that. Thank you. Um, this has been a pleasure. I feel like I, I want to be a substitute teacher. So if like people don't show up, maybe you, you send me a note and I, I do a substitute class, but um, it's Eli Weiss, E-L-I-W-E-I-S-S-S. There's an extra S there. Dot com. So EliWeiss.com. And it's been it's been so enjoyable just to talk about the things that Val and I talk about um, on a regular basis, like CX and retention, to talk about it to a broader audience. And it's also kind of crazy that more people are interested in this now than, than ever before, which is something that <laughs> Val and I have spoken about. Um, <laughs> but it's exciting and we're, we're bringing it in. Yeah, we've been shouting... Shouting from the rooftops for eight years and people are finally listening. Uh, Eli, thank you for being our guest professor. Go subscribe to Eli's newsletter. Follow him on social. Do all the things so you can learn how to be a great CX leader too. Until next time, see ya. All right, class, make sure you're subscribed to e-commerce marketing school and huge favor. If you hear an episode you love, please take two minutes to leave a review. With Privy, anyone can be a marketer. Simple, intuitive email and SMS marketing that drives real results without the complexity. And before I go, a special shout out to Triple Whale. E-commerce marketing school is now part of the Triple Whale podcast network. Triple Whale helps you easily manage and automate analytics, attribution, merchandising, forecasting, and more in the palm of your hand. Check them out by scheduling a demo today.